We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Now, you guys are the first team to clinch a playoff spot. Considering you guys went to the finals last year, what does it say about your squad, the way you have continued this excellence this season? I mean, that's our motto. We just want to get a little bit better every day. You know, we know what we're working for. You know, we, we work hard towards it, you know, so playoffs are upon us and we're looking forward to it. And, you know, we don't want to fall short again. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. It is playoffs time finally my name is mike i'm here with sam sam how are you doing i am doing fantastic mike we're here yeah we are officially here we're already missing basketball right now by the way because we <laughs> need to rush to record this and get it out so that people can listen yeah um, before the sunday night game but there's basketball on all day today and all yeah. day tomorrow and like as soon as we put down the mics here half an hour an hour from now however long this is going to be uh, I'm just going to rush to the TV. Like I have other shit to do, but I'm not going to get anything done this weekend. We're just going to no. watch basketball. I know. I know. I'm, I'm in the same boat. And for everybody who's listening, those who listened to us last year, know. but our plan, you know, based on our health <laughs> is to record Fair. after every single playoff game. So we're going to have reactions to every game, which has, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I respect the people who already do this. You know, podcasters that record after every game during the regular season. That's a lot of work. So our plan is to do this after every playoff game. So after game one, we'll be back with another episode. But this one is still going to be the overarching preview of the series versus the Pelicans. So stick around. Listen to this one. If you're just starting this and thinking about moving to a future one, this one will be relevant for the majority of the series. Obviously, after every game, we'll cover adjustments that were made or we think could be coming in future games as that comes down to it. But for now, we're going to talk about it from an overarching perspective. And I think we should start with talking about the opponent. I think people listening to this are probably pretty familiar with the Suns by now. So let's talk about the Pelicans, right? Can I can I call an audible real quick? I know this sure. is the uh this is the outline, but just we covered the game for playback last night. A lot of people were on that stream. Thank you if you joined that stream. I thought it was fun to um cover a game that was not actually did not include the Suns. It was relevant to the Suns, but it was just fun to have everyone hanging out. Um, what was your, I, cause we talked about it on that stream. That's why I'm bringing it up. But just for anyone who wasn't there, what was your impression 
of those two teams, the Clippers and the Pelicans, did you have a preference and what was your initial yeah. reaction when the Pelicans actually pulled out? I by the by the time that the matchup was set between those two teams, I was pretty uh, convinced that they were essentially equal opponents with Paul George healthy in my mind versus the Suns, being that the Pelicans have been playing relatively well and the Clippers have been playing a little worse than I I think they had anticipated them being. Uh, so they were relatively even in my mind. Watching those games are pretty fascinating from a perspective of the team that's going to be playing against them, right? Because they are that like this specific game was a single game scenario, like a tournament style, March Madness style game. And what that means is that coaches can't save anything. They have to throw out anything that they think could help them win, which for the Clippers meant playing like six guys in the second half and (laughs) going small to start the half and just getting rid of the bigs entirely. And for... Uh, the Pelicans, that meant a lot of minutes with Larry Nance Jr. Uh, taking their bigs out of the rotation. Two of their starters essentially were out of the rotation in the second half of that game in order to counteract what the Clippers were doing against the Pelicans. And I think both of those things were pretty fascinating, but they also revealed some weaknesses, I think, in both of those teams that made this preparing for this conversation for you and I <laughs> A little bit more, a little bit easier, and a little bit more interesting. Sure. I would say. What do you think? Sure. I mean, you try. I, I understand for sure what you're saying about the elimination game aspect of it. So that heightens the importance all around it. You still try to not take too much from a one game sample size, if you understand what I'm saying. But right, that being course. said, like down the stretch of that game, the half court offenses slowed down and, and struggled on both ends. And for sure, uh, I was impressed by the Pelicans' resolve. The resilience mostly to come back in the game at all because after the Pelicans took took the lead uh, in the third quarter, I kind of thought it was over, um, yeah. and I was kind of rooting. I was kind of rooting for the um, the Clippers, excuse me, the entire time just because I don't think uh, as we cover this team here for the rest of this episode, I don't think the 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 Pelicans uh, have a talent advantage over Phoenix at all. But I do think they match up better. I do think they yeah. match up better in some specific instances. So I was rooting for the Clippers. Credit to the Pelicans for pulling it out. That guy, Willie Green, he might actually be able to coach. Who knows? But, uh, and, and, you know, I think that's going to be one of the things, obviously, that we're watching yeah. here uh, over a series for sure. He knows he knows the codes. He knows the, uh, the background on this team. When I began my research early this morning, I'll be honest, for this podcast, I threw everything out before the All-Star break as far as stats goes for this Pelicans team. Did you do Fair. the same? Well, there there are certain stats that I have here that are full season for them. Right, but if you're right. talking about, and we'll get to those eventually, it's like player-specific ones, guys who are healthy. Right. Uh, sometimes it's relevant. But for the most part, like team stats. Team stats, like, yeah. What's their, what's their net rating? Like exactly. how they do None against None of that mattered, this. right? Yeah. It's, no, it, it, I mean, I, I looked at post-All-Star break for all that stuff. Post-CJ trade is, is really what we're looking at. Yeah. They fundamentally changed the way the team is built at the trade deadline by trading big pieces for them for the guy that is essentially highest in usage rate playing in my opinion out of position in CJ McCollum putting a essentially a shooting guard at point guard for their team and I think that's all that mattered so let's go through some things that we research and just talking about who the Pelicans are so far uh, just some quick stats and I'll let you talk about your impression of them since sure. all-star their 10th in offensive rating 13th in defensive rating, meaning if you think about their place in the standing so far, 
They have played better than that, and they needed to because of how they started this season. They needed to play better than that in order to even make the play-in, which, of course, they did, and now they're in the playoffs. Ninth overall in net rating since All-Star break. Admittedly, the team stats post-All-Star break are a little bit, uh, I don't know, like the Suns stopped trying at a certain point, <laughs> for example, and other teams may have well, too, depending on where they were in the standings, the, but I think mostly the It's Suns. funny you say that. Because the Suns were still top five in net rating post All Star break, much of that without Chris right. Paul as well. <laughs> but yeah, but not, yeah. I know what but you like, mean. Like for the, sure. there like are the Celtics passed the, the Celtics passed the Suns in net rating in post All Star break because the Suns just stopped playing their guys at a certain point, and it's hard to judge. A lot of people use a lot of those stats to defend the Celtics, but I mean they're skewed. There's 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 flaws in them. Let's just say that. But still, ninth mm-hmm. overall in net rating for the Pelicans is great. I mean, and it shows how well they've been playing. And that, I think, shows just a basic summary of how well they've been playing lately. What else did you look at when you were researching this team? Yeah, so a bunch of a bunch of things I want to throw out here. First of all, these teams yeah. played each other twice since the All-Star break, since the CJ trade. Um, the Pelicans won one game and the Suns won one game. And interestingly enough, both games were uh, pretty decisive. I think it was a 15-point win for the Pelicans and then a 16-point win for the Suns. And the 16-point win for the Suns uh, there was no Brandon Ingram, but there was also no Chris Paul. So what's the overall balance sheet there? You know, again, it's like we're already dealing with small sample sizes and guys aren't healthy and yada, yada. So you try and take as much as you can uh, from that. Well, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's tough. Um, well, even the win even the win for the Pelicans was missing guys on the Suns. I think I think Cameron Payne started that game, and I think Cam Johnson started that game as well. So yeah, he may there's, have. there's he really may have. no fully healthy games that we've seen these teams yeah. play against each other to get a good feeling of it and and honestly overall if you look at most series first round series right now it kind of just feels like that with everyone i don't know how many you could pick out where it's like you could really take a strong four game season series and say this what this gives us a good look of of what yeah. we can expect because there have been so many right. injuries um yeah, this season besides that i think definitely want to draw attention to the starting lineup you already mentioned the fact that cj is their point guard yeah um, the other thing that they did post All Star break that I think you know anyone who watched, for instance, the playback stream with us last night should should be aware of. Um, also, should be aware of just if you saw the Suns games because it's happened a couple times already. But Jackson Hayes uh, became their power forward at a certain point in the season for the past uh, 20, 30 games or so, really allowing them to double down on having a sort of rebounding and physicality advantage. Um, because traditionally in his career, he had been a center or a hybrid, hadn't played a ton of power forward, still not much of a floor spacer. You wouldn't really say, um, but pairing him with Valanciunas and Brandon Ingram now kind of sliding up to the small forward position just makes them a huge team, uh, especially with that starting lineup. And to that point, you talked about them being a top 10 offensive rating uh, post All-Star break. What I thought was so interesting, they're top 10 in offensive rating. They're 19th since the All-Star break in true shooting percentage, which is basically to say that of probably of all the playoff teams you put together here, I'm not sure if there's any team that's worse than the the New Orleans Pelicans currently in the playoffs that's a worse shooting team than the New Orleans Pelicans. They struggle if you can reduce them down to just being a one-look offense and just needing the most efficient half-court offense possible. They don't have many three-point shooters. They've got a couple of guys who can definitely cook you in the mid-range, and CJ can cook you from deep as well. But 19th and true shooting percentage is bad. So you may be asking, how do they get to that top 10 offensive rating? Well, they were third uh, in offensive rebounds since mm-hmm. the All-Star break, and they were first in steals 
And yeah. that's going to be a surefire way to get you there. Give yourself second chance yeah. opportunities by dominating you physically on the glass and give yourself easy transition points by creating more turnovers than the other team. And you're going to be able to neutralize the disadvantage that you're at when talking about half-court offense. That's yeah. who the New Orleans Pelicans have been since the All-Star break. They're also seventh in transition possessions per game since the All-Star break as well. So when talking about steals, they're running off of that. And of course, running off of misses as well. They're trying to get as many easy buckets as possible. Uh, and I think you can see them doing that against the Suns. The Suns have been really good against transition offenses throughout the season. And I think that'll tighten up even more once the playoffs start. So taking care of the ball, which is something the Suns are good at. And of course, playing great transition defense are going to be two major priorities. Let's quickly talk about the players on this team as well, just to really set the table here. The starters and the anticipated starters, at least to start this playoff series, are CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Jackson Hayes, and Jonas Valanciunas. So that that's just to set the table. Those are the starters. They haven't played, I'll be honest, a ton of games together as starters. Nothing close to what the Suns starters have played. CJ McCollum joining the team late. And Jackson Hayes and Herb Jones, I think, joined the starting lineup at times this season when they weren't always in it. And then beyond that, and I think this is where it gets interesting. We're talking about the main bench pieces of this team you have jose alvarado larry nance jr and then a bunch of question marks i think <laughs> Devonte graham is he gonna play maybe trey murphy the third is he gonna play maybe naji marshall is he gonna play maybe, maybe. yeah there's it's not a not a deep team especially when you think about the fact that they may have to change up this starting lineup in order to keep with the suns they pulled both jackson hayes and Jonas valanciunas in the second half against the clippers because they didn't trust them defensively and I think with guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker it's hard to imagine they're going to trust those guys defensively for the entirety of the series as well yeah so it's not a deep team when it comes well, to I, good players for sure and I, you know I will point out I still think it's admirable that the Pelicans are even here without Zion and what that means with respect to their bench is like Trey Murphy's a rookie Jose Alvarado's a rookie that they plucked out of nowhere uh, who else did you say? Najee Marshall is a second-year player. The fact that these guys are the six, seven, eight, or maybe seven, eight, nine guys in your rotation on a playoff team is respectable. Like that, you know, most teams that are composed this way shouldn't be here at this stage. But when you compare these two teams specifically, I think the difference. Larry Nance is really interesting, and I think we're mm -hmm. going to talk a lot about him in this mm -hmm. episode. So he's maybe an exception. But even Larry Nance is not like a sixth-man scorer. The difference between campaign and Cam Johnson as like kind of your 6-7 for the Suns versus the 6-7 for the Pelicans, uh, and and even more so as you go further down the line and get to 8-9-10, it's a big gap. It's a big gap. And definitely when you talk about depth with these two teams, uh, it's going to come into play. I think the Suns have a big beg, uh, bench advantage, not to mention the fact that the Pelicans just played last night and CJ and Brandon Ingram already played over 40 minutes, and now they have to play again on Sunday. So um, as we go further down the line of a series the fatigue could really set in uh, for the Pelicans, depending on how much they're willing to rely on certain guys on their bench. You mentioned Devontae Graham. I think he's mm -hmm. really interesting. He is an absolute offensive flamethrower who has the capacity to drop 25, 30 points on you just by virtue of great pull-up shooting. In the two play-in games, these two elimination games combined for the Pelicans, he played 11 total minutes yeah. because he's not a he's like he's not a finisher first of all but mostly he's a six foot maybe six foot one 
point guard mm-hmm. uh, who can be easily targeted on defense. And yeah. we're seeing the value, it seems, each and every year in the NBA of guys who fit that mold, the guys who are offensive flamethrowers but don't contribute much defensively tend to get played off the floor in the in the playoffs. And so if they're going to play Devontae Graham 20 or 25 minutes in this series, which I don't think they are for the record, but if they are, it would be a way to maybe give a boost to their half-court offense. It would give them some shooting that they desperately need. Um, but if they're going to do the thing where they play him five minutes instead because the Suns are just going to target him every time he steps on the floor, then it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's you know it's yeah. just gonna it's just gonna be one more thing that hurts kind of an offense that already flounders sometimes. And I think when when you talk about Devonte Graham's minutes in the last two play-in games, you think about the teams that they played against, which is the Spurs, which have no great isolation players on offense, and then. The Clippers, without Paul George and without Kawhi Leonard and without Luke Kennard, those teams don't even have the ability but of attacking Devontae Graham. Well, the Clippers with a Marcus Morris masterclass last night, low key, <laughs> I will say. But but <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, you're totally right. It's not. We're not talking in about in comparison to the Suns. You know, right. they 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 have. I mean, four guys really that can probably attack Devontae Graham. There's no place to hide him, and I think. In fact, let's let's transition over to how the Suns play offense unless you have any more specific stuff. Well, I have no, one more get thing, into, actually. Okay, okay, and then we'll get in a scheme. Well, I'm talking about how this team's not very deep, right? As far right. as really, really high-level talent. I think they have good players, but they don't have like really high-level talent guys. They're missing Zion. I mean, they're missing an all-star level player that would really make everything kind of fall into place in the right way. To, you know, to give them the proper credit that I think they deserve, they could be a really incredible team next year, I think. Since All-Star break, you're talking about how can they be this deep, this uh, not deep, I should say, and still be so good. Since All-Star break, when CJ and Brandon Ingram have played together, which has been off and on because uh, Brandon Ingram was injured a little bit after that trade, they're plus 8.1 in net rating when they play together. And for reference, if people don't understand that, that's really good. <laughs> that's like really, really good. Devin Booker and Chris Paul are plus 10.9 for reference, which of course is much better, but it's not far apart. Like the difference between plus 8.1 and plus 10.9 is a lot different between differences of numbers that are a lot lower than that. That's that's a very good pairing when they play together. So the Suns need to capitalize on the minutes that they're playing together, but also dominate when they play apart. That's going to be an important part of this right. series going forward. Right. Um, so offensively, I got, I got a, I got a few paragraphs of notes here oh as far God. as <laughs> what the Suns, I like the playoffs, Sam. Uh, I like the playoffs, but I think this is a, a fascinating series. Cause let's, let's actually, let's start. Let's say the starters remain what they are. And I think they will at least to start this series. I don't think the Suns are going to change their starters for the entirety of this series. I think, there's a chance that the Pelicans may try to change things up a little bit and create some sort of a smaller lineup with Larry Nance Jr. at some point. But once the starters are on the floor, Jonas Valanciunas is on the floor. In my opinion, that's built for the Suns to just run their stuff that they normally run, right? Yeah. Yeah, What do it you is. think about how the Suns can attack that? What do, I, what do I think about... So you're talking about Jonas specifically, or do you want me to talk about it kind of as one piece How, of the whole. however you want to approach it okay so yeah i think it's interesting Jonas is here's what i'll say first willie green is not from what i know about willie green and i'm not an expert i haven't you know i'm not going to pretend that i've watched 80 pelicans games this year or anything but i've watched all the games between the pelicans and the suns 
from what I know about Willie Green, I don't think he's a stubborn coach who's going to stick to one scheme defensively throughout this series. He's going to try different approaches. And what that means in the context of a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, typically Jonas is a drop big. Like based on his skills, we could just say he's not the most mobile guy. He's not mm. really a rim protector either, but he's typically what you would put as uh, we want you to be back behind the screen so that you can keep the ball in front because we don't necessarily trust your mobility. That's who Jonas Valanciunas has been throughout his career. That being said, we know the Suns destroy drop coverage. We just know. Willie Green knows this too. If anyone knows, it's him. And so if you go back and you look at footage between these two teams of their season series, there have been times where Jonas is playing back in drop coverage. Um, specifically, I think that's really interesting uh, in in reference to how Chris Paul has done against this team this year. Um, Chris Paul only played two games against, and this is where I say, by the way, Mike, that sometimes the, the pre-All-Star stuff becomes relevant because Chris Paul has only played two games against this team this season. Both of those were pre-CJ trade, so we're talking about a different team. But I am going to reference Chris Paul averaged 16.5 assists per game in the two games he played against the Pelicans this year. And I think specifically his ability to attack Jonas at the right moments when he's playing in a drop has a lot to do with a number like that. He's had traditionally a ton of success against it. And if that continues to be their approach for large portions of this series, he's going to continue to have a lot of success, even though we it's, it's true that we haven't seen him play um, since after the CJ trade. I don't think that changes kind of the math about that specific thing all too much. Um, beyond that, Jonas is going to try different approaches. They're not just, they're not just going to try a drop throughout the whole series. In fact, if you go back and you look at how they've played Booker throughout this season, they've tried traps, they've tried playing at the level of the screen. And so I think there is going to be a decent amount of variability for the Suns. That does not mean that they should try a different approach other than, as you were saying, running their stuff. I think mm -hmm. running their stuff, given the personnel that the Pelicans have at the end of the day, I think the guy we have to talk about a lot is Herb Jones because Herb Jones is a phenomenal defender, but Herb Jones is kind of the only great defender that yeah. this Pelican, at least that this Pelican starting lineup has. Yeah. And so I mean, if you're talking about the, the prospect of keeping Herb Jones out of actions and being able to attack a CJ McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas pick and roll defense directly, the Suns, just by virtue of running their typical stuff, they should have success. And I don't think, I, I don't think it'll be too difficult for them to figure that out. I just can't figure out how they think they're going to defend the Suns. I'll be 100% honest. It, you, you look at the starting lineup of CJ Ingram, Jones, Hayes, and Valanciunas. Who guards who, first of all? Because if you put Herb on Booker, which I think that's what happened in the last game, so we'll just start there. I think you can anticipate that that's where they're going to start. Agreed. That's fine, right? But then you focus on running Booker off screens early in the game. You could get Herb in foul trouble. Devin Booker's running around two or three screens, forcing switches. They're not going to get great matchups over the course of a game with Herb. Herb, great screen navigator. Yep. A rookie who's probably not going to get calls in his favor for the entirety of a series. Going against Devin Booker, who takes matchups like that personally. And, you know, he had essentially 30 points against Herb in the last game in three quarters. Didn't even have to play the fourth with the Suns running away with it at the end of the game. I don't think this is a matchup that, as as good as Herb is, who I think is really great, I think he could have a good game, maybe two good games against Devin Booker. But I think Devin Booker is absolutely going to get the best of that matchup for the entirety of the series overall. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, who are you hiding these guys on? Because if you put CJ on Chris Paul, 
that's a disaster. Then you have Jonas Valanciunas and well, CJ guarding a yeah. pick and roll with Chris Paul. Then what do you do? You pack the paint and then you have wide open corners. That's really your only option. Yeah. So the CJ Jonas thing as a pick and roll defensive duo, that's obviously the specific disaster that you can target if you're the Suns. I do think it's important to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of a guy like Herb Jones because what you're saying is exactly right. He can be exceedingly effective in certain roles. It's kind of like Mikhail Bridges. He really, uh, He's really, really good as a point-of-attack defender. If he has the opportunity to load up on you or to load up on a guy like Devin Booker um, in the half court, he might have a lot of success, at least in certain situations, where you can kind of start to target a guy like that. And this is why I compare him to Mikhail, because we say the th- same thing about Mikhail all the time. He doesn't like being converted from that point-of-attack defender into that off-ball chaser. And the advantage of having a guy like Chris Paul in your offense so much and and seeing the extent to which he relieves pressure off Devin Booker is because he allows the Suns to just continue to do what they've done with Devin Booker all season long in their half-court offense. Don't have him be this heliocentric guy who you know has necessarily 20 or 30 ISO possessions a game, but rather creates separation off of Herb Jones early on in the offense by running him around screens and forcing Herb Jones into that chaser role that he doesn't like. So for the Suns, that could be running their stack pick and roll where Devin Booker sets a back screen and then he creates a little bit of separation or maybe generates the switch and pops out to shoot a three. It could be the play that the Suns run all the time where Devin Booker starts underneath the basket and you have a big set of pin down or multiple pin downs with multiple players where Booker then curls around and catches at the elbow or the top of the key. But regardless, there are ways for the Suns to to not exactly neutralize what Herb Jones does on defense, but just kind of make it a little bit less yeah. uh, of a profound impact. Right. Um, just, just by... Cre- and, and here's the ultimate point. If you create even a little bit of separation and force them into rotation so that Herb Jones is no longer harassing you with his wild seven-foot-one wingspan or whatever he has... The rest of the guys who then have to come into rotation, which I think is is where you started with this point, when you look at the rest of the Pelicans' starting lineup, what do you have to worry about, really? You're not worried about Jonas as a rim protector. You're not really worried about CJ as a helper. Uh, you're not even really worried about Ingram as a helper. When he's motivated, he's good. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, there... It's if if your only problem that you have to scheme around is Herb Jones starting a possession on Devin Booker, given how versatile the Suns' offense has been all season long, I don't think that's particularly a huge challenge for Monty Williams. Yeah, exactly right. The difference between the Pelicans and the Suns in that specific scenario is you run run Mikael Bridges around three or four screens while you have a monster in DeAndre Ayton who could move his feet on the other side of that, or you're switching Jay Crowder onto them. Right, that's that's a massive, massive difference for the Suns, and you know, on the other side of that, having CJ Jonas or even Brandon Ingram, who as long as he is, is not the greatest defender at this time. And I think I, I just this morning, I, laying in bed, getting ready for this podcast, right, my eyes shoot open like a maniac, and I fly out of bed and I get up to watch, and I and I and I loaded up the game from January. I loaded up, or I'm sorry, February. I loaded up the game from March. I watched a bunch of possessions with the Suns starters on the floor against the Pelicans. Wasn't overly valuable. Then I watched every possession of Devin Booker against Herb Jones this season. And what the Suns did a lot of is just forcing him to switch. And that comes down to even just setting screens at the half court in transition and getting Jose Alvarado on Devin Booker, who has absolutely zero chance of defending Devin Booker well, based on the film that I watched so far this season. They can't keep him on Devin Booker, even, you know, Devin. what Devin Booker did well against him 
is being physical, bumping, pushing, absorbing contact, stepping back, all the things that you need to do against strong physical defenders like Herb. But beyond that, the Suns would just run him around a few screens and then you end up with a bad defender on him. And even if they are content with taking Herb out of everything else, you could put Devin Booker in the corner and just run a spread pick and roll with Chris Paul. And if Herb helps, which I think he's going to want to do, then you swing that to Devin Booker with an advantage, whether it be a wide open corner or attacking a closeout, which is something Devin Booker is very, very good at, being that he can shoot mid-range, get to the rim, or pass to wide open shooters if they collapse. And I just think what is going to happen a lot in this series is when Devin Booker and Chris Paul are attacking, whether it be in the paint or from the mid-range, the defense of the Pelicans is going to suck in, and they're all going to pack into the paint. And then the ball's going to swing to the corners. And I think this is why Mikel Bridges is likely going to have a potentially massive series here because who do you hide on Mikael Bridges, right? At times, I think it might be CJ, which with what we've seen from Bridges so far, that's just an attack and a shoot from mid-range. And he's gone, gotten mm-hmm. very well. He's one of the best in the league at shooting that mid-range at this point of his career. Mikael yeah. Bridges in the two games in the in the few games he played against the Pelicans this year is averaging 18 points on 57% shooting and 54% shooting from the three-point line. And that's because that corner shot has been wide open for him just based on the way that they're going to defend them. Now, the guys that they have on the floor, whether they put some bench guys in or not, they're going to be hiding guys on Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder. And those guys are probably going to be in a helper role on Chris Paul and Devin Booker once those guys start to get rolling. And those corners, those shots are going to be wide open. And, and what Mikael Bridges and what Jay Crowder do when they catch the ball from that position in a position, an advantage position is going to be a huge, huge thing for this series. And I think that's it's a big thing for the Suns because those guys have been very good this season. Yeah, I mean, you kind of look at this roster and you just get to take your pick of who you want to target. Um, we've We've talked about the impact that Herb Jones brings, but on the other end of things, so there's that CJ Valanciunas pick and roll. There's Devonte Graham, who we already said is probably not going to play a lot because forget Jose Alvarado for a second, who's also like six foot one. He at least is a pesky defender. But if Graham touches the floor, you know Devin Booker's eyes are going to light up. Uh, you've got Jackson Hayes uh, as another option, who you know is maybe doesn't have the typical mobility of a four exactly that you'd want. You got your pick. You really have your pick, and so offensively speaking, for the Suns, I don't think I don't think this should be too much, too much of an issue. If they change it up, right? If they start to feel the pressure of the series collapsing in on them, and they go CJ Ingram, Herb, maybe Trey Murphy and Larry Nance as some of their uh, closing lineups or the lineups that play a little more minutes. With this is what they did against the Clippers, for the record. So if if that's something that they start to do, I think that will be a little more interesting because if they start switching everything, then you just I think it's obvious. I think you just attack CJ. You just go at CJ over and over and over again, and, and isolate him on an island as much as possible with Devin Booker or Chris Paul, and see what you could do there. And then on the other side of that, if they're switching everything and CJ ends up on DeAndre Ayton, well, we know what's going to happen there. They're going to swing it to DeAndre Ayton. And what I think the Pelicans are going to do in that scenario is immediately trap. And I think the double on DeAndre in in the post, we've only seen a little bit of this um, regular season. I think it took time 
for teams to realize just how effective DeAndre Ayton has been in the post so far this season, I think Willie Green's going to know, right? I think he's going to come into this understanding that DeAndre Ayton has been ultra, ultra effective in the post. And once he starts catching it on switches, they're probably going to trap there. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what Aiton does. I think he's done a really great job so far this season passing it out to shooters. And that's another scenario where the defense will collapse and the shooters will make a big difference. So um, I just don't see a great counter for them. And look, we can't predict everything. Willie Green's a lot smarter than us. So there's going to be some things that happen in this series that we're going to have to react to. But based on what I can see so far... I can't really picture a counter to the Suns offense for the current iteration of the Pelicans as far as personnel that they have right now. It's tough for me to imagine. I don't see a seven-game series counter. Um, with that being said, you mentioned Larry Nance. I wanted to save most of the, uh, most of the Larry Nance stuff actually for the other end. So uh, are you ready to move on to defensive? Yeah, let's take, a, let's take a quick break right now. Okay. And then come back and we'll switch to defense and then we'll go over what we think are the basic X factors for this team so far. So we'll take that break and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we covered the basics of the Suns' offense versus the Defense of the Pelicans. Let's talk about how the Suns need to play defense against this team because this is actually kind of an interesting team in that there's multiple what you would describe as Suns killers on this team. Players that play above their normal uh, level of play against the Suns are on this team. I think CJ is one of those guys. I think you could make the case that Ingram is one of those guys. I looked at the stats. It wasn't as impressive as I thought. But Valanchunas is one of those guys. That's a guy that has played better than he has in the regular season against the Suns than other teams. So it's kind of an interesting thing as far as figuring out how the Suns defend this team. What was your first impression when thinking about the Suns on defense? Jonas is certainly the... I know we're not exactly at the X-Factor 
point, but he has been um, a pain in the sun's ass historically, and not even just talking about the Pelicans specifically, but also talking about his time with Memphis. Um, in fact, Jonas's last three seasons against the Suns combined, his last 10 games, he has averaged 18 points, 12 rebounds on 60% shooting in those games in less than 30 minutes. So it's about physicality. Um, it's, you know, I'm not saying anything new there, but obviously Aiton having to match his physicality um, to an extent, Jackson Hayes will play a role as well. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, the, the difficult shot making of CJ and Brandon Ingram, we know what they're capable of when they're at their best. CJ can come around screens and if you're going to be in a drop, he can hit the pull up three. Uh, Ingram has the length to where he can get his shot over just about anybody with maybe one critical exception uh, of a guy on the Suns who, you know, we're going to have to talk about. So they have weapons that we've already said they're maybe not the most deep team, but offensively they, they have weapons for sure. Let's uh, I want to talk about what they do, drop, switch, trap, that kind of thing. But let's quickly just break down the options as far as who defends who at, just to start. Yeah. You know, the Suns are probably going to switch a lot, but I want to talk about this because this team actually presents some interesting challenges as far as defensively, because essentially you're talking about who does Mikael Bridges guard, right? Let's just start there because there's two options and I'll go through them both and you could agree or disagree with me on these. If Mikael Bridges guards, guards, CJ McCollum. So he starts on CJ McCollum. Then you go CJ, Mikhail, Brandon Ingram, Jay Crowder, we're assuming. And then you have, you're hiding Chris Paul on Herb Jones and Jackson Hayes has Devin Booker on him. I mean, right? That's kind of what you have to do in that scenario. And then you have Aiton, of course, on Jonas Valanciunas, which of course is the same in both of these iterations. The other option is Mikhail Bridges on Brandon Ingram. Then... You have Devin Booker on C.J. McCollum here in this scenario, which essentially is Devin Booker on a point guard, which rarely happens. Then you have, of course, Mikael Bridges on Brandon Ingram. Outside of that, you have Chris Paul still hiding on Herb, Jay Crowder on Jackson Hayes, and Aiton on Jonas Valanciunas here in this scenario. Those are the main two options for the Suns. They can play a little differently. They can have options of... Jay Crowder on CJ. They can put Jay Crowder on Jonas and have Aiton on Jackson Hayes roaming the paint. Those are other sort of more gimmicky options that you could do there. But the two main ones are those iterations there. Let's start with Mikel Bridges. Who do you think Mikel Bridges should start on against this team? Under normal circumstances, based on the types of matchups that Mikel has taken this year, we've seen him take a lot of lead initiators a la CJ. Uh, but I'm going to go against that logic for this matchup and say that he's going to be the one who should take Brandon Ingram because that's what I was referring to before. The only guy on this roster who can block Brandon Ingram's shot potentially, and you don't even have to block it, you just have to contest it, would be Mikhail Bridges. Um, and specifically, that saves Devin Booker from having to be in kind of a physical rebounding battle with Jackson Hayes throughout the evening. You can save Jay Crowder for that instead. It frees up Jay Crowder to help off of Jackson Hayes in a lot of scenarios because we know that Hayes is not much of a floor spacer. So he can really focus on helping on defense plus boxing out um, to get the defensive rebounds. And then what that does is, I mean, do you want me to keep going through everyone or do you, do you want me yeah. to just focus on Mikhail here? Yeah, no, so that's fine. Then what, no, th then what that does is really it forces Devin Booker against CJ uh, on the perimeter. But, you know, given Book's defensive improvement uh on the whole this season i think it's a battle he's prepared for you know i think it's it's definitely one where you're trusting book to 
show just you know why his defensive improvement has been uh, so critical to this team and to the extent that it has. But uh, but I think he's ready for that, and and I think that will all okay. flow out of an initial assignment of McHale being the guy who checks Ingram. I think it's interesting. I went back and watched some of the games I was talking about earlier. And the game without Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges started on CJ. And Cameron Johnson started on Ingram. That was Ingram's best game against the Suns this season with Cameron Johnson guarding him. It's not 32 not, points or, or, or yeah, something like I, that, right? I think it was 28, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe it's higher, but... I think CJ uh, killed him in that game too, though. That's yeah. that's what's funny about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so the the strategy against CJ, I think, is more about a team defense thing and what they do there. So if we're saying, and I think I agree with you, although I'm not sure. I think it depends on, I need to see it first. But if we're starting with Mikael Bridges on Ingram and Devin Booker on CJ, one of the things that CJ did so well this season is... Shoot around the drop, right? So if you have a drop and you have a screener screening Devin Booker, then you have space between CJ and Aiton, essentially. And that space is what allows him to get his shot off. And Mikael Bridges is better at navigating screens. First of all, he has the arms to contest the shot even if he does get screened. But also, he's just better at moving around it. Devin Booker, although Devin Booker has become a really great screen navigator... He's nowhere close to Mikhail Bridges, obviously. Mm -hmm. So if you're starting with Devin Booker on CJ McCollum, I think the Suns have to operate a little bit differently with DeAndre Ayton. You have two options. You can bring Ayton up in a higher drop so he's more capable of contesting CJ's shot if he shoots around the screen, or you can switch. And what happens if you switch is you end up at least briefly with a moment of Devin Booker on Jonas Valanciunas, the Suns can scram, switch out of that, switch Devin Booker onto somebody else's man, which in this case would likely be Jackson Hayes, and Jay Crowder comes in and covers for them. I think these are, this is the main thing, because I think if you have Mikel on CJ, you could start in the drop and have Mikel just fighting through it and see how well he can fight through that once the focus is intensified. You could even bring it in a little bit higher on that drop. But I think with Booker, it's going to be a little bit harder to to do that because he's just not as good at navigating screens. So I think I agree with you that I think we might end up in a place where Brandon Ingram is guarded by Mikael Bridges to start. But I think to start this series, the most likely scenario is Mikael Bridges is on CJ and they're going to test the extent of that drop coverage with Aiton dropping lower around screens and Mikael Bridges fighting through it and see how well it works at first, and then switch to Ingram with Mikael Bridges on him if that doesn't work. So theoretically, if if we went with the thing you were saying where we play Aiton in a high drop, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost surprises me to hear you say it, I guess, because like, aren't you CJ's number one hater, if I recall correctly, or one of his, <laughs> part of his hate group? My, you send him hate mail, right? No. <laughs> My, on, on the regular? Analysis for CJ McCollum has always been the Portland Trailblazers had no chance to win a championship as they were constructed. It's it's when just you're talking funny about the Pelicans, yeah. you have to start with how you defend their best offensive players, regardless of who they are. And right now, yeah. they're Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. I mean, no, I, I'm with you, but like he's 
you know, what, what's funny about CJ is in Portland, he was this, their offensive philosophy was we're just going to maximize the number of pull-up threes that we take, right? They, it was it was Lillard doing that. It was CJ doing that. Anthony Simons doing that, whoever. Uh, then he comes to New Orleans and he still takes a lot of threes. But like one of the cool things about watching CJ over the past 20 games or so is to watch him become more versatile and to, to, to basically decide, yeah, okay, I'm going to pick apart drop coverages, not necessarily by coming around the screen and taking the three all the time, but putting my EJ uh, cap on right now, but I'm going to, you know, take a couple steps in and go for the 16 footer instead. Now, if Aiton plays a step higher, still in that drop coverage, he's still neutralizing the mid range for CJ for the most part. And do you really believe that CJ is going to be the difference maker in a half court offense? Like he's going to hit enough pull up threes over a seven game series to beat a team like the Suns. Do, do right. you really believe that at the end of the day? I'm, I'm well, asking I, you sincerely. It's not like no, a no. Here's here's question. here's what I think. If you're capable of fully taking or fully taking CJ out of the offense as much as possible, the series can end in a sweep. I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that to me, you can start there. I, as good as Brandon Ingram has been, if you're if you're if you're saying Ingram has to score as much as possible against Jay Crowder, but we're taking everything else away from them, that's not a bad scenario. That's Jay Crowder. You know, that's not. It's it's not Terrence Mann, you know, as we just saw. It's 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 a different scenario, and uh, so it's 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 not necessarily that I think that CJ could win the series on pull up threes. It's just that ending the series as quick as possible might have a lot to do with how well you contain CJ. Right, right, because because we've already seen the relative lack of strength. I mean, neither their point uh, neither of their backup point guards can come in and offer that offensive relief. It's all on CJ. So, yeah, I mean, if you do take him out of the game early on, and he already shouldn't be playing the position in the first place, yeah, <laughs> the series is over. Yeah, yeah. I think the Clippers did a lot of interesting things because what one of the things the Suns could do is go small on this team, and the Clippers actually utilized that to perfection against the, as far as defensively, I should say, against the Pelicans. Yeah. They just couldn't score. The difference is yeah. the Suns could potentially go small with Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor, or even at times without Chris Paul on the floor and Devin Booker at point guard. And I think that would really frustrate them because once you start switching on CJ, it's all about isolations. And if you just force him into a tough isolation, even if he hits them, that's not great for their offense. I think he ended that game with one assist against the Clippers, maybe two. And it, look, if you can force him into a scenario where he's not playmaking for anybody else, he's just taking difficult shot after difficult shot, that's a massive advantage for the Suns. I could see a scenario, in fact, I adjusted our minutes predictions for B-Ball Index and reduced Jay Cra I'm sorry, reduced JaVale McGee's minutes and increased Torrey Craig's minutes because I could see scenarios where the Suns go small against this team, especially if they're struggling to contain them offensively. So... As far as containing CJ, you have options there, but if it's just starting with a basic, basic drop without the intent to fully fight through screens, then I think he can get going a little bit, which makes everything a little bit more difficult. So I'm very, very interested to see how they defend them. I do think there's a chance... When CJ is on the court, or even when one of CJ or Brandon Ingram is on the court and the other one isn't, that the Suns just hard trap, hard, hard, hard trap, and force other guys to make decisions with the ball. Because I just, who else is going to do it at this point? Who are you really counting on? 
again, like if Devon De Graham's not going to play, he was one of their best shooters um, or one of their best uh, self-creative shooters. Outside of CJ McCollum, there's not another there's not another shooter on this team. Trey Murphy the third, I guess, is is like an uh, a spot up basic guy can hit corner and and can relocate up to the wing. Like he can hit those types of threes. But you look at the entire rest of this team. If CJ's not on the court, who's shooting? Herb yeah. Jones. Yeah. You know, Jonas can hit them sometimes. Or Jackson Hayes isn't going to hit them. Alvarado's not going to hit them. Who else is there? Mm-hmm. You know, so if De- it's if Devonte Graham's going to play five minutes. I mean, the amount of help defense that you can play on this team, too. We saw Tony Snell check in for four minutes mm-hmm. last night. I guess theoretically he can hit a three, but he didn't hit. He didn't make the one that he attempted. <laughs> I think he was a minus nine in the four minutes he played yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just in general, like CJ's floor spacing, he does a lot for them, but he's going to play 40 minutes. And then there's going to be another eight minutes where they have zero floor spacers on the floor. That's a really tough look, too. Um, I want to talk specifically about the scenario where Larry Nance just like plays 25 minutes and they reduce Jonas's minutes because Jonas's physicality is really, really important for this team. But what if you're just to go to the other side of the floor again? What if you're just abusing the CJ Jonas pick and roll defensive duo so much that Willie Green throws up his hands and and says, okay, we are going to pull him early and we're going to play Larry Nance for 25 minutes. That maybe makes their defense stronger. What does it do to their offense, which is already, as I said, way early on in this episode it's a one-shot offense that relies on generating second chance opportunities in order to score what happens now when you replace Jonas Valanciunas who averages like 15 rebounds per game against the Suns this season with Larry Nance Um, are they able to generate anything out of that or do the Suns just have counters after counters like yeah so that's an interesting scenario if if that ends up with Devin Booker I'm sorry with DeAndre and on the floor and Larry Nance on the floor you're probably fine but the minutes where Larry Nance is on the floor and JaVale McGee is on the floor, that's a little scary to me. I, I actually think JaVale tends to do a little too much, right? He'll come out a little too far contesting shots and leave the offensive rebound open. He'll foul guys, and and, and that's a little scary, I think. Um, beyond that, I think the Suns might actually try to counter that with some small ball minutes. I think that actually could work against those lineups that leaves in a lot of cases Larry Nance to make a lot of decisions in the middle of the floor which he's good at but hasn't had a ton of time with this team to be great at I would say that they're not hasn't really done it locked in yeah hasn't really done it with this team if you I mean this is one of the premier at least the the thinking was last year I would say one of the premier short roll guys in the NBA wasn't really utilized in that way in Portland by Chauncey Billups at all and still hasn't been utilized uh, by that way in New Orleans. If you look at his assist numbers, he has literally more turnovers than assists since joining the Pelicans. Yeah. Yeah. it's It still seems like, I think Kellen on our playback put it well, it still seems like he doesn't quite know what he's doing on this team yet. Like he doesn't quite know what his role is. And if that's solidified by the end of the series, that would be huge for them. And it would be a little bit tougher for the Suns to, to figure that out. I do wonder what extent they're willing to go to try to isolate and attack Chris Paul. Because, you look, Willie Green was on the team in the playoffs last year. He saw what worked against the Suns in the finals, and it really wasn't until the finals that a team was capable of finding ways to put Chris Paul on an island. And... I think there is a scenario where they try to do that. They try and force switches with Chris Paul 
the Suns, I think, are more prepared to counter that than they were previously. And I think no that doubt. might mean hard traps immediately. So say Chris Paul gets switched on to B.I. B.I. dribbles once, turns his back on Chris Paul to start backing him down. Immediately, the Suns send a second guy as soon as he starts dribbling, right? And that forces him to make decisions. Ingram has become a much better passer this season, testing the extent of his growth as a passer against a team with as good of defense as the Suns with Mikael Bridges on the other side of that, if they throw Jay Crowder at him, I think will be an interesting test of that and, because um, I just, I'm just i not sure they have the right guys to really attack Chris Paul. I mean, in order to attack, like in order to really be able to target anyone you want on an opposing defense, you need ideally four or five guys on the floor at once who can create their own shot. And the problem at the end of the day with the Pelicans offense is they have at most three of those guys at any given time with CJ Ingram and Valanciunas, which means there's always going to be two, you know, not guys who aren't valuable NBA players in their own right, but two kind of nobodies on offense, which is just a short scram, scram switch away. It's yeah. a short one pass away scram switch that the Suns execute all the time. There's always going to be the ability for Chris Paul to bridge that distance. And I'm just, uh, I wouldn't be too confident in New Orleans's ability to do that on a consistent basis. I think Jake guys like Jay Crowder are going to be on that in terms of communication um, or Mikhail Bridges too. If they see that's that's going on, they'll be quick with the switch for uh, those of you who are listening right now. And if we are using terminology that you're not sure of, like if you're relatively new to like playoff level basketball, or if you just heard us mention things that you're not sure what they mean, I highly encourage you to ask. Uh, and I can try to find film that will show you, like what a scram switch is, what a drop coverage is, what trapping is, what switches are, stuff like that. If you have any questions about that type of terminology, just reply to when I post this on Twitter, preferably because I can find videos on Twitter relatively easily and we can help you to find that. Um, Sam, do you have anything specific that you want to talk about on Sunday? Obviously, we're going to have a chance to react to these games and talk about adjustments, but do you have anything else on their defense that you want to talk about before we switch over to the final segment here? Well, I think we've covered it. X factors, I think. And this is obviously, sometimes you talk about players as being X factors. Sometimes you talk about different aspects of the game as being X factors. But I know, at least I assume, that both of us have one thing on there. And that's rebounding, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's critical. The Suns are going to get out-rebounded in this series. Let's just be honest. Yeah. But they can choose to do certain things that mitigate it, for sure. That's like, why, for, I you think, know, go ahead. Just you know, just talking about the half court offenses as an approach. I I just think we should both be ready, and I think we've already talked about this, but we should both be ready for Suns fans to bitch and complain about rebounding in this series, <laughs> and it's going to be on us, and it's going to be on other people to break down, like schematically what's going on and schematically what what they can improve there. So you know, the Suns tend to pick up the pace this season. They like to play a quicker pace, and they like to only send one guy, DeAndre Ayton, after the defensive rebound. But in this series, DeAndre Ayton is going to be preoccupied with Jonas Valanciunas. And if DeAndre Ayton is preoccupied with Jonas Valanciunas, that means that someone needs to box out Jackson Hayes. Someone needs to box out Brandon Ingram. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, they're going to get second chance points. And so if you really believe in the strength of the Suns' half-court offense over the Pelicans' half-court offense, which I do fundamentally... 
then maybe you don't need to sweat the transition leakouts all that much or as much. And you can send a guy like Jay Crowder or Torrey Craig, you mentioned him earlier, if he plays increased minutes, after additional rebounds, and they can make sure that they t- take care of business on that end um, and don't give the Pelicans the advantage that they're obviously looking for. Right, right. And look, I, I think it was interesting how the Clippers countered, countered that by forcing them to go small, uh, you know, by putting a really small lineup on, on, on the court. Suns don't quite have the same type of personnel to do that, but they can go small if they have to, which I think the Pelicans in in some ways would be forced to also match. Uh, so we'll see how that goes as it goes along. We'll talk about that as adjustments are made. What else do you have as an X factor? I have a few things, but what do you have as an X factor for this matchup? I have Jonas again. We kind of already talked about him. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have anything else you want to cover there? No, not necessarily. I think we know the challenges that Jonas brings. The one thing I will it's say kind is of if, just, if he starts yeah. launching threes and making them. Uh, I'm not worried about that. I mean, yeah, but that can win a game, right? Because it's not going to count that. win a game. No, that could, that could totally win a game, especially like if he's matched up on JaVale for minutes and we know JaVale is, if there's anything JaVale's not good at, it's guarding like a spacing five. Uh, he just kind of ignores them. So yeah, it's possible. I hadn't really considered that though. With Herb Jones, is there any chance, because I talked earlier about how Herb Jones is like on ball, awesome point of attack guy, uh, good screen navigator on ball as well, but like not a chaser. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance Willie Green applies what he learned from the Bucks in the finals last year, where they just pressured the hell out of Chris Paul, uh, like bringing the ball up the floor, and that he, he applies that pressure directly from Herb Jones? Yeah onto Chris Paul instead of Devin Booker. And he puts yeah. like CJ on Booker instead. And because I don't think we covered that earlier. So I wrote that down. No, here. yeah, that's a great point. Are you worried about that at all? Not really. Or do really. you think they just break through the pressure? Not really. I, I think that Chris Paul is so good at navigating guys into screens. Uh, and the other thing is, if they try to if they try to put the defender on Chris Paul for like 90 feet, right? Just chasing him around the court. The Suns have clearly made plans to counter that. That could be Devin Booker bringing the ball down. That could be Jay Crowder bringing the ball down. Right. And then yep. Chris Paul catching it at the other end of that and then running his man to, into a screen there. But right. The point yeah, they'll, is, start him, they'll start him in the corner in those sets. Yeah. Yeah. And the point is in that scenario, not allowing them to take time off of the clock in order to counter that. So, I think they, the Suns are pr- pretty prepared for that, and I think they spent all season preparing for that in a way that I, I, they didn't do last season. They they really focused on... In fact, I remember in our preview, our preseason preview of, of the entire season, we mentioned the stat that Monty Williams talked about. They're tracking the total number of dribbles for Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and they saw that the more dribbles they take throughout the course of a game, the more tired they were at the end of the game. And look, it led to them being one of the best clutch teams in the NBA of all time uh, before the last few games of the season. So look, that tracking might actually matter. Here's another X factor for you. The Pelicans since All-Star are 4-5 and five in the clutch. So when it gets close, they have a losing record. They're 18th overall in plus minus in the clutch. So look, it is what it is. All season, the Suns have won games that maybe they even shouldn't have won by most metrics by being better at the end of a game. And this team has lost. The Pelicans have lost in the clutch more often than they've won. And they're relatively new. The Suns have the continuity, right? They're prepared for those clutch situations. So I think 
that once it comes down to it and things get a little tight at the end of games, that specific stat is going to stand out a little bit. The Suns have to prove why they've been why they've been that clutch team all year round, right? At the end of the day, as our friend Kellen Olsen would say, you got to go to Bucket City. Hard games, last few minutes. That's that's what he was joking about. Guys like Marcus Morris yesterday with the Clippers. You got to go to Bucket City. You got to make tough shots. And not all visas are validated. Not all passports are stamped when you try to go there. There's a, there's a difference here. There's a gap. And when we talk about the gap, the gap is going to show in the final five minutes. If you're a Suns fan and you're trying to be confident of anything about this team, you should be confident about that. Yeah. What else you got? I, I'll be honest with you, man. I don't have anything else obvious here in terms of X factors. I got a few things. Um, I, I just think I think we covered everyone at least to the surface level <laughs> that, yeah. that I wanted. But I'll, I'll hear out your thoughts. The throw, benches. Throw me other stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, for sure. The benches. I mean, the Suns have a good bench, and they, they're probably going to play three three guys uh, off the bench. And it, we haven't talked about it yet, but Landry Shamit left practice with a foot injury. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to factor him out of this, at least to start, until we know any sort of update on that. But that means that uh, the Suns are going to play probably Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, Torrey Craig. And JaVale McGee is, is in there as well. But I'm talking about those guys as far as on the ball that are going to be big difference makers. The Pelicans have one guy, I would say, that I'm fully confident in playing relatively well over the course of the series in Larry Nance Jr. And he hasn't played with them a lot this season at all because of his injury. And and we just talked about how he's still kind of finding his role on this team. So the Suns bench needs to really capitalize on the time that either they're splitting up CJ and Ingram or if they play any time with both of those guys off the floor, the Suns bench needs to capitalize on that. So that's that's a big one. You have anything else to add for that one? No, just 100%, 100% in agreement and, you know, not super worried really about the gap yeah. between those two. Right. Yep. It's important though. And then the last one I think is Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges is going to, he could make a case for uh, of maybe the third best player in this series or, or MVP know. of the series. Right. Exactly. The type of guys who tried to say this is the MVP of the series when they're, when they're looking at really what they're talking about is an X factor. Um, yeah. That is Mikael Bridges in this series. Two reasons. One, defense. Obviously, he's got to guard two of the best players in the league. Two, uh, I, I mean, in this game, I should say. And they both are playing massively different positions. So he's chasing guys doing different things. Uh, like CJ is going to go around a ton of screens. Ingram is might want to post up or do different things from the mid-range. So defensively there. Secondly, they're going to hide guys on Mikael Bridges defensively. They just are. And when they start packing the paint on offense, as I've talked about, when the Suns are on offense and the ball swings over to Mikhail Bridges, if he has a couple games where he's scoring 25 plus points that they're just going to really struggle to defend the Suns when they try to counter that because there's just no options when Mikhail Bridges is on like that. So I think he is the last one that I want to mention as a, a key, key, key piece in this series. Mikhail's got the mid range that definitely CJ can't block or anyone else. Aiton's got the hook. Crowder's even got the floater. The entire system was built for this, you know? Five guys who can self-create, at least to to some extent, makes for a difficult offense to to stop. And so, you know, we, we could talk about scheme. Like, we, we could talk for another hour about this stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning. This this team was built to get to this point where you trust in, what, you trust in the work that they've done to get here. 
Yep. And now we'll see it laid out in front of them. Yep, that's right. Yep, and I think we're there. The Suns start the playoffs. I hope people get a no, chance to listen to this one. <laughs> no predictions coming from you for this one? I Absolutely know you not. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. Like My predictions are more scheme-based or how you just I expect hate, them to play. You hate accountability. That's all it is. I don't like the idea that things are predictable as far as wins and losses because, look, that takes all the fun out of the sport entirely. Uh, it, it's more fun to try and figure out, for me, the details of how things get to where they are. That's a lot more fun for me. So... Uh, yes, we'll be back after game one. Have fun watching this game. We're very excited to watch this one as well. And uh, we'll record after that. We're also doing game three on playback for Patreon. If you want to join our Patreon, you can. We had a lot of fun with everyone in the playing game. And if you want to watch with us once the Suns go to New Orleans, uh, join us on patreon.com slash the timeline. We appreciate you guys. And we will be back very, very soon. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.